This is Grace Talks, a production of Simpson United Methodist Church in Bangor, Michigan. Today's scripture is taken from the second book of Samuel, chapter 18, verses 5 through 9, and chapter 15, verses 31 through 33. The king commanded Joab, Abashia, and Itaiah, be gentle with the young man Absalom for my sake. And all the troops heard the king giving orders concerning Absalom to each of the commanders. David's army marched out of the city to fight Israel and the battle took place in the forest of Ephraim. There, Israel's troops were routed by David's men and the casualties that day were great, 20,000 men. The battle spread out over the whole countryside and the forest swallowed up more men that day than the sword. Now Absalom happened to meet David's men. He was riding his mule, and as the mule went under thick branches of a large oak, Absalom's hair got caught in a tree. He was left hanging in midair while the mule he was riding kept on going. And 10 of Joab's armor bearers surrounded Absalom, struck him, and killed him. Then a Cushite arrived and said, My lord the king, hear the good news. The Lord has vindicated you by delivering you from the hands of all who rose up against you. The king asked the Cushite, is the young man Absalom safe? The Cushite replied, may the enemies of my lord, the king, and all who rise up to harm you be like that young man. The king was shaken. He went up to the room over the gateway and wept. As he went, he said, oh, my son Absalom, my son, my son Absalom, only if I had died instead of you, oh, Absalom, my son. This is the word of God for the people of God. So when it comes time to step into the Old Testament, there are many times when I'm shocked at what I read. As was evidenced a few weeks ago when we read the story of David and Bathsheba, there are times when the refrain, the word of God for the people of God, leaves us scratching our heads. There are times when we read through Scripture and we need to learn more about what's happening. There are times when we might be surprised at how rough certain parts of the text really are. How the Bible is not always the collection of children's stories it's often represented as, but rather a gritty diary of court drama. A story with as much, if not more, intrigue than even the most well-directed television show or movie. Such is the story that we read today, a story that is just a portion of the death of Absalom, but a portion that leaves us with a whole lot of questions if we don't dig in. Questions like, wait, wait, who the heck is Absalom? So as you might know, I like to preach from the lectionary. That three-year cycle that we follow and the lectionary has a habit of really liking to jump around, especially when it attempts to move throughout the narrative parts of Scripture. It likes to cut out some of the more problematic passages in favor of the big moments. But all this does at times is it leaves us with questions, questions that need a sermon or a Sunday school class to answer such as the case today. 
As I said a few weeks ago, we heard the story of David and Bathsheba, and had we followed the lectionaries, Second Samuel passage from two weeks ago, we would have read about the prophet Nathan confronting David over what he had done. But what would, we le- what would have been left out between Nathan confronting David and the story we read today is all of the context that led up to what we read today. When we just read the story today, we might fail to recognize that the king referenced is David. Absalom, who David tells Joab, his nephew, to be gentle with, is his son. When we read the story, we might miss out on why any of this is happening, on why a man is having his cousin killed. And so because the lectionary is jumping around so much, I have to offer an abridged version of the story, one that sounds less like Veggie Tales and more like a deleted storyline from Game of Thrones. The story that ends with Absalom hanging from a tree begins in 2 Samuel 13, where Absalom's older half-brother Amnon becomes obsessed and infatuated with his half-sister, Absalom's only full sibling, Tamar. Being a young and apparently frustrated young man, he sees someone by by who by all accounts he cannot have. And as things are apt to go, when a man in power sees something he can't have, he wants it all the more. And so Abnon is the eldest son of David, and by all accounts, he's next in line for the throne. And despite all of his power and his privilege, here is one person that he can't claim by right. And so Tamar becomes an obsession to him. He describes himself as being in love with Tamar, and yet when we read the text, we find that this ain't love. This is obsession. This is power wanting something it can't have. And so Amnon organizes a complex plan to get his half-sister Tamar alone. And then he has his way with her. And when he's finished, he finds that his obsession, his supposed love, as he describes it, has turned to hatred. And he sends Tamar from his room, and as any woman would in a culture such as this, Tamar ends up disgraced. Tamar is considered less for what's happened to her. She's considered invalid. And so when Absalom, her brother, learns about everything that happens, he is quite understandably enraged. And why wouldn't he be? This is as clear an injustice as there ever was, and yet what does David do when he learns about what's happened? Nothing. According to the text, David can't even be bothered to rebuke his son or tell him that he is wrong. 
David doesn't punish Amnon. David doesn't demand Amnon marry Tamar, which in the context of the time would have been the only honorable thing left for Tamar. And so is, as is often the case with people in power and privilege, Amnon's crimes are swept under the rug. The survivor is ignored. And we begin to see the cracks that lead to a civil war. We find the growing seeds of hatred growing in Absalom, and Absalom begins to hatch a plan of his own, and two years later he sets his own plan in action, and after getting his half-brother Amnon drunk and pacified, Absalom and his men murder him, and they flee, and the seeds of rebellion ride with them. Now, after a few years, Absalom returns to Jerusalem, and yet he doesn't meet with his father, David. David snubs him, and likewise, his cousin responds in a completely similar way by in also snubbing him. And so Absalom, completely reasonably, sets Joab's field on fire. It seems that a man in power doing what he wants is still a tendency that's in full effect here. Absalom doesn't get what he wants, and so he sets his cousin's field on fire. And now it seems that he gets David's attention because now David gives him an audience. And it would seem like things are back to normal, but in the course of time, Absalom's hand plan that he began to set in place begins to unfold and Absalom plans to overthrow David and take the throne. To do this, he turns the people of Israel against David. And of course, David eventually learns of the plan and he's forced to flee Jerusalem and Absalom cements himself as the one the people want to be the king. And as these things go, rebellion turns to battle, and battle turns to war, and that's where we pick up our story today. In the final battle of this civil war between David's men and Absalom's men, Joab, David's nephew, learns that Absalom is protected by David, as David, at the beginning of this passage, implores him, asks him, please don't harm my son. And so David sends his men into battle. And due to what would seem to be pure happenstance, Absalom is caught up in the branches of a tree and he's quite literally left hanging. The text today abridges this, but it would seem that the death wasn't quite instantaneous, but rather he hung there for a few moments, if not a few hours, because when Joab learns from one of his men that Absalom is hanging from a tree, he ignores the orders that David had given him, telling him to protect Absalom, and instead he, along with a group of men, plunges a collection of javelins into Absalom. 
and Absalom is unceremoniously thrown down into a pit. And there's the kicker, because for a man like this in the line of kings, in a time like this, he dies an undignified death, and he's given an undignified burial. And for a culture obsessed with honor, this is a shame. So with all of that context and story out of the way, let's take a moment to consider what does any of this mean? What do we do with a story like this? Because this isn't something that just happened. The story, the climax of the story that we read today is the product of a long series of events that could have ended at any moment. Why did Absalom turn against his father? Was it Tamar's assault at the hands of her half-brother? Was it Amnon's escape from justice? Was it the apparent lack of repentance or leadership from David? Was it the apparent favoritism that was on display? As I said earlier, I say lack of, lack of repentance and escape from justice because that's apparently what we see from David. Amnon, after doing what he did, is left off with nothing. The text tells us that he was not rebuked, he was not punished. He got off scot-free. something we wouldn't know anything about in our culture. A person in power getting away with terrible deeds. After all, no man in our world could, get a, could ever get away with assaulting someone. I say lack of repentance because Amnon, like David, following his assault and taking of Bathsheba, fails to repent. He fails to face any sort of justice, and instead Amnon lives another three years, ignoring his half-sister's cries of shame. Ignoring his half-brother's growing anger, ignoring problems that perhaps could have been overcome. And this is the key thing that I want to focus on, that as I said, all of this could have been stopped. There didn't need to be a civil war. There didn't need to be a man killed while hanging in a tree. If repentance had poured out, if justice had poured out, then these events that ended with Absalom dying could have been stopped. If Amnon hadn't used his power to get what he wanted, if he'd repented, if he'd made amends, if he'd turned himself in to face justice, well, maybe he wouldn't have been murdered. Maybe Absalom wouldn't have turned to violence and hatred. And the ethic we have to lean on then is not one that comes from the New Testament. After all, the story does not leave us with an ethic. There's not really any moral of the story that can be drawn out of it when we just read the story on its own. 
Rather, the ethic has to be the one that Jesus offers. He who lives by the sword dies by the sword. Absalom kills Amnon out of revenge, and Joab subsequently goes against his own orders from David and kills Absalom out of revenge. And you know what happens to Joab a few years later? At the command of David to his son Solomon, Joab is murdered in the tabernacle at the altar of all places. So much for loyalty. Which leaves us, perhaps, with that important ethic that he who lives by the sword dies by the sword, saying that violence and power corrupts every man in the story. Violence and power doesn't just corrupt Amnon. It doesn't just corrupt Absalom. It doesn't just corrupt Joab. It doesn't just corrupt David. It's all a cycle. And it keeps going. I don't say this to cast judgment on someone who lived so long ago because that would be silly. I say this so that we might think about our own world, about the times that we live in now. Because how many problems are there in the world that we allow to grow beyond their scope? How often do the sins of the past come back to bite us? How often does the lack of repentance or the lack of justice, the lack of basic humanity come back to hurt us later on? To hurt others. We live in a world where we constantly face down the sins of the past, where we continue to fail to truly repent for what's been done and continues to be done. Not just in our lives, but in our own society. We live in a nation that still has not repented for some of its worst actions. Racism and slavery and genocide against native tribes and sexism and every sort of ism are problems that we still face. The story that we read today might seem strange to our modern world, but they offer us an image of what it means to love one another. Of what it means to be the church. It offers us a bad image of what it means when we fail to repent and we fail to pursue justice and we fail to show mercy and we fail to walk humbly in abandoned power. Perhaps there are times in Scripture when the greatest lesson that can be learned is what not to do. In our own lives, in the life of our nation, in the life of our world, do we live like David and ignore the problems and hope they go away? 
Do we live like Absalom, plotting against others when our own desires are not met? Do we live like Amnon, taking what we want when we're told that we can't have it? Do we live like Joab, taking justice into his own hands? Or do we live like Jesus? The one who shows us that the only truly Christ-like thing we can do with power is to lay it down. This might sound like an extreme statement, but I think I've come to believe that any sort of hierarchy that would put one person on top of another person is out of God's design. That an imbalance of power is not how we were meant to live. That the best thing that could happen in the world would be for all power structures to be torn down and democratized. For people to live together in true equity and true equality where people can stand shoulder to shoulder with each other, not one in greater power than another, but standing alongside in support and love. For people to live in a way where you don't gain more power because you have more stuff. You don't gain more power if you're stronger. You don't have gain more power if you have bigger guns. But you share your power with someone else. When we look at Jesus' vision of the kingdom of God, when we look at the beloved community, we find an image of a world where there are no great or small. A world where there are no strong and no weak, no Jew or no Greek. Instead, we find an image of a world where there is a social structure where all are made to be one. Where we all live with and for one another. Living for other people rather than competing with them. What a novel idea.